Changing eternity. What an audacious statement that is. To say that you and I, as finite human beings, can really make a difference in something that is eternal. That our lives really can matter. That it's not just about going through 60, 70, maybe 80 if you get lucky, and maybe even 90 years upon this earth and accruing all the things that you get and, and, and having all the blessings that can come your way, but that genuinely you and I have the ability to change eternity. Now, when you begin to think about that, all of a sudden it, it kind of puts you back a little bit, but it also ought to make you a little bit excited that you have the ability as a human being to make a difference for eternity. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about this whole aspect of how we go about changing eternity. So I want you to take your Bibles today and go to the book of John, the 12th chapter, because that's where we're going to be in the next couple of, of, of uh, weeks here as we look at this. The book of John, the 12th chapter, uh, beginning in verse 44. Uh, and I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, so it'll probably read a little differently than yours does. It says this, Jesus shouted to the crowds. And I like that because usually when you read King James and New King James, something like that, it just says, and Jesus spoke to the crowds. I think every once in a while, Jesus got ticked. I think he got riled up. I don't think he was always just easy. This, this translation says, Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. Verse 46, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Now, Jesus is talking to us here, and, and as, as you're kind of wrapping your brain around that verse this morning, let me greet our campuses and tell them we're glad that they're with us today, and we're believing for the Word of God to make an impact there as well as here uh, as I preach today. But Jesus said this. Jesus said, I, I am come to overtake the darkness. I, I, am, I am glad to know that this morning. I am glad to know that Jesus didn't come to leave us in the mess that we're in. How many of you have found out that the world's kind of messy? Let me ask another question. How many of you have found out that life is kind of messy? And yet Jesus, the Bible says, did not come to leave us in darkness. He did not come to leave us in that same old place that we've been in and the same way of living, the same way of conducting ourselves, but that he genuinely came so that you and I, the Bible says, John 10, 10, the thief comes but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come, Jesus said, so that you can have what? Life and it more abundantly. Now, now, I want to tell you, there, there's a lot of ways to bring change. You know, one, one of the greatest ways to bring change, I guess, in our, our world and the way we look at things is, is militarily. Um, you know, a, a lot of countries around the world don't like the United States of America uh, because we have uh, had, had a strong military presence in a lot of the world throughout uh, the last century or so. And, and, and because of that, some, some countries, in fact, right now, uh, some of the things that are going on in the Middle East, we're being blamed for it even though we're not even there. 
And it's being said, well, it's America's fault because of this, that, and the other. And, and, and so there's, there's the way of, of going about uh, overcoming the darkness and changing things uh, militarily. But, but here's the thing about uh, history. If you study ch- uh, history throughout the, the world, uh, you'll find out that great armies have arisen, great countries have arisen, and... 50, 100, 200 years or so, then all of a sudden they disappear and another great army comes along. So the military is not the way to change eternity. Then then we talk about the political system. And I think in America, too many Christians have established their hope on the political system. Now I'm going to get in trouble for what I'm going to say, but just hang with me. I don't care if it's a Republican in the White House or a Democrat in the White House, they're not going to change eternity. I don't care if we elect a Republican Senate or a Democrat Senate. They're not going to change eternity. Our hope is not in a political system. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, do you realize that when Jesus was upon earth, that he was under one of the most oppressive political systems that has ever existed, the Roman Empire? Do you realize that all of Jerusalem and Israel were being dominated uh, by a mighty military army? They were being dominated by great political leaders, and yet Jesus didn't go around picketing the, the politics of the day. I, I just you all right because we're going to change eternity okay you said pastor shouldn't we be involved in the political process I think that you ought to be involved in the political process as much as your constitution allows you to be but I want you to understand it does not matter about who the man is in the white house it matters about who the man is who is sitting on the throne of heaven and that's the one who matters and so you've got to understand that there's, there's, it's, it's not through you know we, we want to walk around with picket signs and go stand out in front of abortion clinics and scream at poor little girls uh, who are messed up and don't know what to do and and tell them they're killing babies and they're, and they're going to hell. Uh-oh. And I think abortion is wrong, but I don't think that's the way to handle it. I don't think politically is the way to handle it. I wonder what would happen if those who are spending all their time picketing all these places would spend the same amount of time, the same amount of resources seeking God and trying to minister to people before they get there, what would happen in our society? See, changing eternity doesn't come militarily, it doesn't come politically, and it sure doesn't come financially. A lot of people have stacked their hopes in the finances. What if I can just get more money? I can change. No, no, no. Listen, uh, currencies rise and they fall. I was listening to a, a certain commentator recently, and somebody was asking him, should, should they buy uh, a certain money because this money is increasing? And he said, well, uh, he said, what happened to the last money that that country had? He said, it's absolutely worthless today. So you know what? You can, you can put your, I know it says on the bank note, in God we trust, but do we really? I mean, I, I wonder what would happen if we really begin to trust in God Now, I'm talking about changing eternity. If we really begin to trust in God and quit trusting in George and Ben and, you know, all the things, it's not going to come. Eternity's not going to be changed through some kind of political, military, or financial solution. Jesus, the Word of God says, came for one purpose, and that was to change eternity. 
He, he didn't come to establish a political kingdom. He did not come uh, to bring about a lot of things that we think that he came for. He came to change eternity. And when eternity began to change was when Jesus Christ came to this earth. I want you to look in the 13th chapter of the book of John because we're just going to continue on. And, and I, here's what I want to show you. I want to show you the heaven's perspective this morning. Uh, when we talk about changing eternity, what's heaven's perspective of changing eternity? How do we go about about uh, doing that. I, and I think Jesus gives us a great example of that uh, in John the 13th chapter beginning in verse 12. Here's what it says. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done unto you. Now, Jesus is giving us an example here. He says, this is the example I want you to have. Now, let's break it down a little bit. The disciples have gathered together for the Passover meal. They've come together. They don't really understand all that's happening, but they really have come together for the last time with Jesus before he experiences the crucifixion. And as they are there, they're, they're, all, they're coming in, and there's no servant there to wash their feet. And so each of them kind of looks at the other and says, I'm not washing your feet. Now, you have to understand, washing feet was a custom in that society uh, because they all wore sandals if they had any kind of shoes or were barefoot, and, and you know, they didn't have nice paved streets. They had uh, just little old dirt roads that, uh, that you walked on, but not only did you walk on it, the donkey in front of you walked on it, the horse walked on it, the cow walked on it. Do I need to go any further, or did you get it? All right, and so there's all kind of nastiness that's on that road that everybody's walking on. So when you went into someone's house, the custom of that day was is that the lowliest servant in the house, their assignment was to wash the feet of everybody who comes in the house. And so when the disciples gather together in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal with Jesus, there's no servant there, and they begin to look at one another, and they say, I'm not washing your feet. I mean, can you, can you imagine uh, John and Peter having the conversation about who's going to wash whose feet? I, I mean, I, you know, I, I can just imagine. Peter said, I ain't doing it. John says, well, the, the Lord would like for you to. He, he would love for you to do that. He, you know, he's, and, you know, the, the love comes out of John, but, but there's still enough pride in John that he won't do it. And, and you know, and, and Thomas says, I doubt if I could do that. I, I just really doubt if I've got the ability for that. And, and, and you know, and, and I mean, on and on, you, you go through the 12 the, the disciples, 12 apostles there. Uh, Judas is trying to figure out how to wash their feet and steal their money at the same time. And, I mean, there's a whole, whole thing going on, and Jesus walks in, and he doesn't say a word to him. He, he just goes over in the corner. Uh, he takes off his robe. He wraps a towel around his waist, and, and he picks up a basin and, and some water, and he pours it, and then he begins to go one by one washing their feet. And when he gets to the apostle Peter, the Word of God says uh, that he, he wants to wash Peter's feet, and, and Peter says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in the kingdom. And Peter said, Lord, don't just wash my feet. You give me a bath. He, he did. He said, wash me from head to toe. Lord, he said, because I want to be in the kingdom. And then Jesus 
kind of comes to the ending of that whole thing, and he says, okay, guys, I have done this for you for an example. Now think about this. The greatest person who has ever lived upon planet Earth, the one who, who has done more to change eternity than anybody said, if you want to find out how to change eternity, here's how you do it. You do it by the example that I have left for you. Now think about that for a minute. In the kingdom of God, Jesus said it's an upside-down kingdom. He said it's not the norm. He said, you've heard it said, and he, and he would always say, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And, and, he, and he goes through the whole thing about if you want to be the greatest, guess what? Be the servant of all. I mean, if you, if you want to be the person who's ahead, be the person who takes care of everybody else. And I want to tell you, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage where Jesus said, this is the example that I'm giving to you, I'm going, wait a minute, is that really heaven's perspective? And yet the Scripture says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he was equal with God, took upon himself the form of man and came and lived upon this earth. Now think about that for a minute. Although Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead bodily upon this earth, the Scripture says that he left heaven to come to earth to give us an example of how we should live. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever seen Christians that you were ashamed of? Have you ever seen people witnessing to somebody and their attitude is so nasty. I mean, they, they may have every script. You know, they may can re- lead somebody down the Roman road. They may have the ABCs down, you know, the steps. They, they, they may have the four spiritual laws, and they can tell you God has a wonderful plan for your life. I mean, they, they've got it all down, but their attitude is so bad. And, and as we look at, you know, the reason that we, when we get saved, the reason Jesus doesn't immediately take us to heaven is because he wants us to be involved in changing eternity. But a lot of times we thought changing eternity was walking in with a 40-pound Schofield reference Bible and slapping people around with the Word. Bless God, I know how to parse the Greek and the Hebrew, and I will explain to you what the Word of God really means. And yet Jesus said, If you want to change eternity, here's my example. And I want to give you three things that he showed us through his example this morning. The first thing that he showed us was total humility. I mean, do you understand that the one who spoke the worlds into existence bows down and washes dirty disciples' feet? I mean, you talk about humility. You talk about the incarnation of humility. To see the God who had spoken and there was now bending down with a basin and washing their feet. And you know what? Jesus knew everything about them. When he knelt before Judas, he knew that from the day that he had called Judas and given him the treasury that Judas had been stealing you do know that's what Scripture says, that the entire three and a half years that Judas had the books, he was embezzling. 
and yet Jesus kneels down. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if that was me at that moment, I would have been glad to have given a word of knowledge. <laughs> yea, I say unto all of you, Judas is a thief. Come on, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you at that moment? I mean, what, would that not? I mean, you're, you're, in the, you're in the stance of humility. You're on your knees. Wouldn't that be a great time to just expose Judas for what he really was? I mean, you know, just in a few hours, he's going to betray you. Why not just expose him for who he really is? And yet Jesus, I mean, he, he, can, can you imagine Jesus washing the apostle Peter's feet? I mean, he knows what's inside the apostle Peter. He, he knows that just in a few hours, Peter's going to be cussing like a sailor. Y'all read the Bible? It's in there. He knows that Peter's going to deny him three times. He, he knows every aspect, and yet he is, and again, I think this is just a great opportunity. Come on, Lord, just deal with it. That's what we would do. I mean, we don't even really know what's going on in people's lives, and we deal with it. We just think we saw something. We just heard something three times removed. And we start telling everybody, well, I, you know, so-and-so, I go to church with them. I want to tell you about them. And Jesus isn't telling some story that's down the line. Jesus knows exactly what's in their heart. He knows when he kneels before the feet of Simon the Zealot. He, he knows that this man still hates the Roman Empire. He knows that there's still inside of him this desire uh, to, to, to wage warfare. And yet Jesus, in total humility, washes his feet. If you want to change eternity, you have to be willing to serve people even when you know their mess even when you know something bad about them, even when you know they're struggling. I mean, what would happen in the body of Christ if we would begin to live the way that Jesus lived? Oh, I know we wore the bracelet. That was kind of cool, wasn't it? I mean, we had the WWJD. We, we kind of all wore them, put them out there. You know, we sold millions of them and made millions of dollars for a little rubber band put around your arm. It says WWJD. And, and every once in a while we'd look at us. I wonder what Jesus would do, but we'd go ahead and do what we wanted to do. I mean, it was on there. It looked good. It made us look Christian. You know, it's kind of like the fish on the bumper. But then the bird comes out the window. Haven't said that in a while. I just thought it was a good time to say it. And, and you know, you know all, all the things that, that, that we have, and yet Jesus moves in total humility, knowing everything. He knows their competitiveness. He knows their anger. He knows everything about them. And yet he just shows up, and he ministers to them in true humility. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to those who have humility. Do, do you get that? You, you, is there somebody in your life that you want to change eternity? Is there somebody uh, in your existence? Is there somebody that, that you would love to see their life being changed for the glory of God? I want to tell you, if you will approach them in total humility, it's the way God can bring grace. Do, do you, you understand that the Scripture says it is by grace through faith that we are saved, that not of ourselves, it, what? 
grace and faith. It is a gift of God lest any man should boast. So if God gives grace to those who walk in humility, then that means that I have the ability through humility to walk into somebody's life and I bring the grace of God to them, then that's the only way they're going to be saved. I, I, I know this is, you, you thought that when I said I was going to preach a series of sermons on changing eternity that I was going to give you the spiritual laws or I was going to show you scriptures to preach and I was going to give you a preaching outline that was going to help you to win the lost. And all I'm doing is up here telling you if you want to win the lost, be a person of humility. But it doesn't stop there. Not only did Jesus have total humility, Jesus also had total surrender. I mean, think about it, totally surrendered. Again, he is the God of creation, and yet there is no feeling of superiority in him. He, he does not approach. Do you realize that, that everybody loved to hang out with Jesus? Except religious people. I love it when religious people don't like me. No, I, I get excited. People say, I don't like that preacher. He's not religious enough. I go, thank you, Jesus. He says things that they shouldn't say. You know, Jesus wasn't religious. The only people that you ever find in conflict with Jesus are religious people. Why? Because Jesus did not come across with an air of superiority. But again, think how often that Christians and, again, the church approaches people who don't know Jesus. I mean, do, do you see the people who get interviewed to represent us? I mean, you know, they got three teeth in their whole head. I'm sorry. I, you know, they're, they're standing there with a big old Bible, and, and they're, you know, this group, I'm going to just do it. Can I go there? I'm going there. Thank you. I believe I will. This group has been standing out and screaming when some of our military uh, men and women have fallen in battle and been buried in there, and they're screaming about the judgment of God and how God hates fags and all this stuff. And I'm not saying that's what they're saying. And, and they're screaming all that. And, and the news media covers that. And they're big signs with all these derogatory, deflammatory words that they're using. And, and, and I look at that and I go, that's what people think Christians are. And I want to tell you, Jesus wouldn't be caught in a million miles of those people. That is not the heart of Jesus. Jesus totally surrendered his superiority. Jesus' example was to always release grace. He told us, freely you have received what? Freely give. I don't know about you, but I have so needed the grace of God. I have so needed God to show up time and time and time again in my life and just pour his grace on me. I didn't deserve it. Sometimes I wasn't even asking for it. I, I had, th th there were moments in my life, and, and again, some of you this is just going to mess with, but there have been moments in my life where I wasn't doing what God wanted me to do, and I wasn't living the way that God wanted me to live, and, I, and, and all those things, and yet God would just show up in his grace, and I wasn't asking for forgiveness, but he still gave it to me. And people need to know that. 
the whole way of changing eternity was through Jesus Christ who came to this earth for one purpose. Here's what the scripture says. Before the foundation of the earth, a lamb was slain. Jesus came for one purpose. That was to die on a cross. And you know what Calvary does? Calvary puts every human being on the same level. All of us. And I I know I need to hurry, but I want you to get it this morning. I want you to understand today that God's grace makes you equal. Not one better than the other. In the Old Testament, the Word of God says, when you get ready to build an altar, don't build it up high. Don't build it on a perch or a stage. Build it on level ground. There were a couple of reasons for that. One of them is, and I don't want to be crude, but one of them is because of the, the garb of that day. If you were to build it up high, then you, could, you would expose people's And so the Lord said, don't do that. And then the other part of that is, is that if you have it up, some people can't access it. And so God says, look, build the altar where there is no shame and everybody can get there. No, you missed it. Because if you would understand that, it would change how you would approach people who aren't living for God. Well, pastor, don't you believe in the judgment of God with all of my heart? That's why I want to approach people with grace. I know there's coming a day of judgment. I understand that one day I will stand and you will stand and everybody that's ever lived, at this point, almost 7 billion people are going to stand before God and they're going to give an account of how they lived. I know that. But thank God that's not today. You and I still have the ability to approach people totally surrendered to his grace the third aspect that jesus showed us in this as he knelt and as he washed their feet john the 13th chapter in the 17th verse says now that you know these things god will bless you for doing them the third thing is total blessing comes when you conduct your life the way jesus did How do I walk in blessing? To be blessed, I must serve. Well, hallelujah. Pastor, can can you show me how to be blessed? I just did. Jesus said, you know these things, God will bless you. Why? For doing them. If I show people humility, if I approach people in grace, if I come to them with a mindset of how can I serve you, God says, I'll bring blessing into your life. Well, Pastor, I'm I'm going through a tough times and things are just messed up in my whole world. You know what? Sometimes to restore joy, what you need to do is start serving Well, I, I, don't, I don't really feel like it. You know, I have never felt like serving. I was never a waiter or a waitress. 
thanks the Lord for the last part. I, I, you know, I, I never, some of you got it, some of you will get it later. You know, I, I, I never was in one of those industries where you had to because I think I'd have smacked somebody. I'd have gone and prayed through later, but I, I mean, I, I've watched how people treat people in restaurants, and I just go, I, I don't think I could handle that real long. I, I think I might dump a whole pot of coffee right in your lap just by accident, okay? And, and, and in this whole aspect, it takes the grace of God to truly serve. And yet, I believe with all of my heart, the world is hungry for a group of people who will approach them with the same mindset that Jesus had. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. His mindset. How do I make a difference? We've been talking about, we've been praying about changing eternity. We've fasted and prayed in the month of January and said, Lord, we, we want to make a difference in people's lives. And the normal way that churches do that is now we go into a spring revival. We'll have somebody to come in and we're going to have a revival. And what I found out, I, you know, I grew up in the church and what I found out in revival is the same people that got saved last year usually get saved this year again. <laughs> really is the truth. And I probably was one of them. But anyway, that's a whole other story. What would happen if love and truth churches would begin to exhibit heaven's perspective? Heaven's perspective was... I'll take of myself of no reputation. I don't care what people say about me. They said Jesus was a friend of sinners and publicans. They called Jesus a party animal, because not because he was drunk, not because he was in revelry, but because he was willing to hang around people who that was their lifestyle. And he loved them. And his love was so powerful that even... A tax collector, when Jesus goes home with him, Jesus never one time tells him he's a sinner. But in the middle of the meal, the love that Jesus exhibits is so powerful that this tax collector jumps up and confesses what he's done, how he's lived, and how he's going to restore back to people and gives his life to God. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be wonderful just at work that that person who just bugs the stew out of you? Come on, you know who they are. I hope you're not working with anybody here, but I mean, you, you know who they are. That just in the middle of work one day, just as, as you are serving and loving, that the Spirit of God convicts them, and they come to you and say, I need to get saved. That son or that daughter that's been so, so far from God. And you've tried tough love and you've tried, you've tried it all. And you're just totally frustrated. And so you just say, man, pastor said it'll work. I'm going to try it. 
and just in the middle of loving and serving, the convicting hand of God comes in. And all of a sudden, you see them over in a corner weeping as conviction sets them free. I want to tell you, I believe with all of my heart that the next revival that's going to sweep America is not going to be in the sense of pounding the pulpit and screaming at people about how wrong they are. I want to explain to you, our nation knows we're wrong. We know we're messed up. What would happen if a whole movement of Christians begin to live the example of Jesus and show his love to everybody?